generosity and your and your giving this morning, and we just appreciate your partnership with us. And you know, I my heart is I, I know I love to to be home preaching in the churches, but but I love Asia, and we're looking forward, God willing, to return. I want to thank you for prayers for my wife. She's as Pastor said, she's recovering from uh, cancer surgery, actually, and uh, she's doing quite well, but it's only been, she's only about three weeks post-op. She had to have a mastectomy, and, and um, uh, but she's cancer-free, and no chemo will be needed, so we thank God for that. And, uh, but she sends her greetings, and, um, um, and I know she would have been here today. She would have loved to have been here. She's just not quite there yet, and uh, just about, but she's not quite there yet. Would you open your Bibles this morning to uh, John chapter 4? We're starting in verse 20, uh, 27. We will read the um, verses uh, 27 to, to 35. We'll start, yeah. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? John's book, you know, is the fourth of the Gospels, the fourth book in the order of the New Testament, and the fourth division or the chapter is where we'll be reading today and while you're uh, opening your bibles i just want to invite you to stop and sign up for our newsletter grab a prayer card so you can pray for us you'll find us on facebook twitter and linkedin and um, um and we're not that hard to find so um and we we're glad to talk about it we're one of the countries we can talk openly about our work on social media and things like this so the things that we post on social media you can repost if you like whatever you like to do. John chapter 4, verse 27, I am reading to you from the uh, English Standard Version. Any translation you have will, will get us where we need to go. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he told them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and, the that the fields are, and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is, over, is, uh, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Let's go back to, to the one verse. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Could we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will speak this truth into our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would grasp your vision of bringing in lost people, people who don't know you into the kingdom of God. I pray that that would happen this morning, Lord, for any may be here and, and who are not walking in fellowship with you, that at the end they would say that, Lord, I want to be a part of your family. I want to belong to you. 
Lord, challenge us, Lord, to be broken and spilled out. Lord, challenge us, Lord, to go all in with your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. There are two simple components to this message today. The harvest and the workers. When we use the term harvest in this sense, we are not talking about grain or wheat or barley or whatever you may have or hay. The harvest in this sense is a metaphor that refers to people. And I would like to take you for a few moments into the background of this story. And we'll see how that applies today. Jesus and his disciples, this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's quite probable that at this point he, he didn't he probably didn't have his whole team together yet. He most likely didn't have all 12 disciples at this point, but there were some. And they were walking their way, because that's the only way you really could go in their day. This is the days before, you know, automobiles. And they were walking from Judea back to Galilee, which would be a several days walk. And they passed through the area of Samaria. They passed through a place that was known in the Old Testament uh, of, of Jacob's well. And they sat down at the well to rest. Now, the, wa the well was in the valley. The disciples went up, in, up the mountain into town, the town of Sychar, to buy food. While they're going, a woman comes to the well. She is a woman with a questionable past. The reason that she came to the well to draw uh, water at noon and not first thing in the morning like the other woman did is because she was a woman that had been ostracized by society because of her lifestyle. She'd been married five times. She was currently living someone, someone without, without matrimony. She was disregarded, she was ostracized, she was oppressed, she was gossiped about, she was slandered about, which is precisely why she didn't want to hang out with the other women of the town. And, and she comes in and she begins to draw water. And Jesus initiates a conversation with her now, in this day and age, that perhaps in our society wouldn't engender too much discussion. But for a Jewish rabbi, so this woman had three strikes going against her. Number one, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and it was a mutual feeling. The Jews tended to look down on women. I'm sorry, ladies. The prayer of the Pharisees in that day, and that's why they are Pharisees, um, is, you know, they were hypocrites, and they'd say, Lord, I thank you you didn't make me a dog or a woman. That's about the opinion they had. Oh. Perhaps you felt that somebody's looked down on you because of your color of skin, your gender, or whatever. 
And thirdly, she was a prostitute. But Jesus had a different value system. But Jesus knew the pain of her past. And he could see past that pain and see her as a person for whom he had come to earth. He was able to see past all of the negative stereotypes, real or imagined. And it was to a Samaritan prostitute that Jesus revealed his true identity to. At one point in verse 25, and I want to encourage you to go home, just read the whole story this afternoon. And, and, and this, this, to this woman, she, she indicates a ray of hope. She said, I know when Messiah comes, when, when the Christ comes, when the anointed of God comes, he's going to teach us all these things. He's going he's, you know, to clarify all of these religious questions for us. And, and Jesus said to that woman, to that ostracized woman, I have good news. He's here at the well. The woman was shocked. It says that the disciples asked, wondered why he was talking to this woman. And I assure you that the woman was asking the same question. And you see her run back up into town. And, and what does she say? She says, come, I, I, I've met a man. And he told me all of the things that I, that I ever did. Wait a minute, now think about that. He said, he exposed my shame. Oh. Now, the good news is that there's forgiveness. The bad news is that you have to face your sin and your shame in order to get to the good news. Oh. And, and then she says, couldn't this man be the Messiah, the one we've hoped for in our indications? I think he is. Now, the townspeople must have been as surely shocked as she was to hear this woman whom they've gossiped and they've slandered and they've talked about and they've cussed out and they've done everything to that they could. Although they'd probably participated. After all, she'd had five husbands and they probably had come from the town. And they were curious. This, this man, you realize that this woman who was so sin, full of sin and shame, became the first woman preacher of the gospel. Yeah. She became the first evangelist. Because God is the God of the oppressed and God is the God of the, uh, of the one who gives a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth. God is the one who takes us in our sin and our shame and transforms us. He doesn't ignore the issues. Oh, believe me. He doesn't ignore the issues. Now, I have to back up and say that I'm a church kid. Jesus is all that I have ever known. 
I don't have a background of drugs and all kinds of other stuff and, and the others do. But you know something? I was on the road to being a great Pharisee. And do you know something? You know what Pharisees and drug addicts have in common? They both need forgiveness. And they both have need transformation. And they both have issues that need to be brought and can be. So my message here is not of condemnation, but one of hope. But one of healing. And, and to know that, that the gospel message that God himself came to earth for the oppressed. For the dispossessed, for the marginalized, for those that have been cast out by society. Oh, and by the way, those definitions, those descriptions describe the majority of the world's population today. If you have clothes on your back, and looks like we got 100% here. <laughs> if you have food in your stomach, if you have a, a, a dry roof over your head, and if you have an automobile, you are in the top 10% of the world's most wealthy people. Americans say, we're not wealthy. Oh, come walk with me through a manila slum. Come walk with me through the shanty towns of Asia. And you'll recognize that those on welfare have a higher life standard than the average world citizen. And that's a simple fact. And it's not getting better. The gap between the rich and the poor continues to widen every year. It's to those people, those people that represent the majority of Asia, that God sends missionaries. It is to God's, it is to the oppressed and the dispossessed and the forgotten, the lost and the, and, and the ignored that God is raising up an army to be a part of it. Oh, looking back and now the woman goes back up and, and then she could, gathers all the townspeople and confesses her shame. Now, she probably didn't go into detail. She probably didn't need to. And she says to the town people, come see this man. I want to tell you, I have seen this in our own ministry. We went to a small town, a little place called Osiao Sorsagan. Don't bother looking for it on the map. You can find Sorsagan, but you'll not likely find Osiao. It's just a small little town along, along the coast. And while we were there one night doing an outreach, the pastor, <coughs> after the outreach, said, could you please pray for my sister? She's been having fainting spells. Oh, she had more than that. She had three children by three different men. And in a small community, there are no secrets. She had, and, and, and you know, we didn't, we didn't know the details. We it doesn't matter. I don't need to know the details. But we said, yeah, well, we're happy to pray for her. Jesus is going to transform anybody. If he can change me, he can change her. 
And as, as we prayed over her, all of a sudden her body went rigid and she began speaking in a low guttural voice. And it became obvious that she was demon possessed. Now I know that this raises a whole lot of questions that we don't have time to answer today and we're not going to try. But I want to tell you this. For the next 45 minutes, we prayed and interceded and cast the demons out in the name of Jesus. She'd been involved in witchcraft. She'd opened the door to demon possession. When she got delivered, she opened up her heart to Christ that very night in that room. The next day, Debbie and a couple of other missionaries that were with her, that were with us, went and prayed with her, and she received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. My friends, you've got to have the Holy Spirit baptism to deal with the demonic today in any age. And, and her life was just transformed. Now, there was a lady in the community who was opposed to our holding meetings. And I don't think she was necessarily opposed, but our meeting, the meetings we were holding happened to be at the same place where they had planned to hold what in essence is a pagan festival to the patron saint. Filipinos are, are nominally Catholic. And it was held at the same time, and the Barunga and the leaders of their community forgot about that when they issued us a permit. So there's this tug of war going on, and, and, uh, and, and she's challenging us, saying that our event should be canceled, postponed, and things like that. And I said, we don't, we don't have any other time to be here. Oh, she was mad. Oh, she was mad. But that woman was touched by the power of the testimony of that changed young woman. When Jesus came and changed that woman, the change was complete. She married the man that she'd been living with and had her third child by. He came to Christ that evening. We were back in the area about a year later, and she was radiant with what Jesus Christ had reached down and done in her life. Last I heard, she was teaching Sunday school at the Assembly of God Church. And, and the lady who so opposed us, yeah, she was in Bible study. Now, it wouldn't have been a trip if she'd gone to Sunday school and this gal was the teacher, you know? I mean, I don't know if that actually happened, but Jesus, you know, the kingdom of God, the values of the kingdom are absolutely subversive in this society because it changes because Jesus takes people who are on the bottom and puts them on the top. Oh, yeah. Asia is full of people at the bottom, economically, spiritually, Oppressed, poor, and the gospel is taking root among them. You see, when, when Jesus comes into people's lives, he changes them from the inside out. Now, it doesn't all happen at once. I mean, I've been serving God for 50 years, and he's still working on me. Thank God he hasn't given up on me. There's a growing evidence in, in academic literature today 
that the of the sociological implications of the gospel. One missionary to Latin America made a contention. He said the rise of the middle class in Latin America today is directly related to the Pentecostal movement. Because when Jesus comes in and he changes a person's life, then all of a sudden they're not gambling, they're not sleeping around, they're not doing all of these other things, and the money they used to gamble, drink, and play cards with, and all this other stuff, now is used to pay the rent and feed the family. Oh, yeah. Now women learn how to clean house, and they learn basic sanitation methods, because now life has a purpose. Now life has structure. Now life has a foundation. Because of Jesus. And it's having, because the church and, and the, the vast majority of followers of Jesus today live outside the United States by an exponential number. I mean, in the Assemblies of God, there's 3 million members and adherents in the Assemblies of God, and there's 67 million worldwide. Where do you think the rest of them live? And about 40% of them live in Latin America. <laughs> and they're impacting their communities. They're bringing peace and justice to their communities as a part of living out the gospel message. So that's the harvest. That's the harvest that God invites us to partnership, to reach, to transform, to redeem. Our part is to train the harvest workers. You read this passage, and I've been reading this passage for 50 years. And it dawned on me just not long ago that Jesus said, don't say four months of the harvest. The harvest is ready now. But did he thrust his disciples out into the harvest right away? No. He kept them by his side for three and a half years of mentoring, of teaching, of molding and shaping their character into the image of Christ. That is our mission. That is our purpose at APTS. The methodology is different. Jesus' methodology wasn't any different from the teacher of his day. It was the message that was different. Well, the message is the same. Our methodology is a little bit different. On our campus, we, we mentor students in the classroom, as you might expect. It's a seminary. But we also do so in chapel where we talk about spiritual formation and the need to have devotions every day and pray and learn to fast and learn to uh, and, and develop all of the spiritual disciplines that are so critical to our lives. We also have the informal times. On Fridays, we do small groups and instead of chapel. And so the faculty have that opportunity. All of us live on campus, by the way. We never heard of a commuter campus. This is, we're all living right on campus. So it's just, you know, 200 yards from my, to chapel to my house. And every trimester, we have a new group of students. And in those small groups, you can do anything you want. You can pray, you can play a game, you can do whatever you want. The idea is to build community. Now, because we have so many nations represented, you have to have a common language, and that's why we require English. English is considered the language of educa the educated in Asia. Almost all the textbooks and resource books in the library that your kids bought for us, um, uh, by for us, are written in English. And so it's natural that, that English then would be the language of the campus. I, Debbie and I do speak Filipino quite well, but we have students from all over Asia. And, and so Debbie's focus is helping them to improve their English skills. So we, and, and, and so then having a common language enables us to build community across different cultures. And, and a lot of 
guys come, a lot of students come and they bring their families. And of course, the faculty have families at one time last year, last year or so, we had 33 children on campus. And, and it's just fun to watch the kids from various different nations interact together and learn to communicate. And, and it's fun to play with the kids. I'm the campus punching bag. Um, I'm the biggest kid on campus. And uh, uh, we'll put the word out, kids on campus. If you want to go punch an adult, just have some fun wrestling with an adult. Dave is your man. Um, and uh, I get beat up by more nine-year-olds than anybody. Um, and, have, and I love it. Preferably the more the merrier. You know, I like the pilot. Anyway, you see, you have the opportunity to be a part of our lives. You have the opportunity to mold and shape them. My wife became particularly close to a young student from China, a girl who came to APTS, knew virtually no English, and graduated at the top of her class, having read thousands of pages in English and written hundreds of pages of term papers in English. That's an act of grace. And today, she, she met her husband on campus. By the way, if you're single and, 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 and you're saved and you have a call of God in your life to ministry and you have a bachelor's degree, we can help you. Just come to our campus. We can help you. But you have to have all those qualifications in place first. So, um, and uh, uh, she met her husband on campus, and today he's working on his PhD in another country. And their vision is to go back to China, and plant Bible schools, and do for others what we have done for them, and so into them, and so into them, and so into them. How are we going to reach Asians? We're going to do it by training others. We're going to be doing it like Jesus said. Jesus said the harvest is now to get them the grip. And then spent three and a half years molding and shaping. Who are these people anyway? These disciples. They were fishermen. And the New Testament records suggest they weren't very good at it. You read that? You know, Any time we talk about Bible, they never caught a thing until Jesus showed up. Um, and they were businessmen. Simon the Zealot, that's the name I couldn't remember in the early service, was, a, was, was an all-possibility religious terrorist or at least he was not in favor of the Roman government. Then you have Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for the Roman government, and they're following Jesus together. I imagine they must have been roommates. And uh, what, they've been roommates. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in their room. Um, and Jesus took all these people from the humbler walks of life, no matter what their background, and transformed them. Did he succeed? Did Jesus succeed? There was no plan B, by the way. Um, did Jesus succeed? Well, hello, you and I are here today because of them. The Church of Jesus Christ is worldwide today because a bunch of bumbling fishermen and, and businessmen and all kinds of people with all kinds of stuff in their past came to Jesus, found forgiveness, cleansing, and wholeness, and turned around and preached the same message to others who preached the same message to others who preached the same message to others. So we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity in those informal moments of life, like basketball, you ever, anybody here, any of you guys ever been to China? You ever play basketball with the Chinese? You play basketball with them? They play to kill, don't they? they no, they really do. They don't, they dive after a loose ball. They don't call it jump ball. They wrestle it till somebody comes out with a ball. It's Darwinian evolution at the, you know, survival with finished. I love it. That's, a, that's my style of play, man. I like the rough and tumble, as long as it's clean. They follow you and you're lying on the, on the court gasping for breath. They'll, they'll see you gasping. That's a good sign. He's still alive and the game goes on. They don't call a foul. Um, they do when the professor calls the foul. You respect your professor. Um, you follow the professor, you cop, the game stops. Um, but uh, and one guy thanked me for the input I had in his life, and all I'd ever done was lift weights with him. I went in the weight room pumping iron, you know, pumping iron for Jesus. There's a lot of lessons you can learn. I'll spare you the lessons today. But what I'm saying, and they have the opportunity to see us in those unguarded moments when we're not 
quite what we ought to be in Jesus. You, you know this. You know, missionary couples don't have arguments. Oh, no. You know, pastoral couples, you guys don't have arguments, do you? I know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not speaking for you, but for us, you know, we don't have arguments. We just have intense fellowship. Um, <laughs> heated, intense fellowship. And I don't know how many times I've had to go back to my wife and say, I'm sorry for something stupid I said, you know, or some dumb thing I did or some way I was insensitive to her. You just come to our house. You just figure out, you know, and uh, you say, without God, these people would be helpless um, and hopeless. And that's a fact. Um, you know, the difference is, is that we've all been wounded by shame, but we've been healed by grace. And that's the message that we bring. And so we have this opportunity to shape and mold in life. But I also have a, another opportunity to, 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 to do it. And this takes us well beyond the walls of our campus. Let me ask you a question before I tell you what it is. Pastor mentioned it earlier. How many of you have been blessed? And how many of you have grown because you read good Christian literature apart from the Bible itself? Like, you know, Christian magazines, books, stuff like that. Yeah, almost all of us. That's what I do. That's what my passion is, is that through our publishing, Pastor mentioned we publish a journal. It's online twice a year, and, and, and you can go to the website and read it. I'll, I'll give you the prayer card later on. You go read our, uh, our journal online. We publish books so that we can mold and shape the church all over Asia and other parts of the world. One of our books I found out sometime ago is being used as a textbook at a seminary in South Africa. Yeah. And that, that's incredible. We, we, we publish some general books, but we also publish some books that, that deal with Asian issues. For example, Asians want to know, you know, what do we do about the ancestors? Virtually every Asian context, culture, in fact, it's true throughout the, the, the non-Western world, has some way of venerating the ancestors that have gone on before. They say, well, is it veneration or is it worship? Well, it depends. That's the answer. And, and we need, we need, Asian writers will help us tool out a biblical response to this, you know, so that people can be, you know, follow Jesus and still be a part of their culture. Asians want to know, you know, what does the Bible say about witchcraft, sorcery, divination, and all kinds of other things? You look at our Western books, we don't deal with those too much. But the Bible has a lot to say. So a lot of our publishing is shaped to deal with these issues. Real quickly, I, wanna, uh, I brought a couple of books, and I want to make them available to you, and I do so with your pastor's permission and understand why we do this. I'll, I'll explain. The first book is called Leave a Legacy. This is a book about missionaries, for missionaries, um, and by a missionary. But I want to encourage you to pick up a copy because in this book, you'll learn about the trials and the stresses. Uh, if you think missionaries uh, are perfect people, this book will cure you, honestly. Um, and write about a lot of things that you, you, know, you don't see written up, but it re details real issues that missionaries face, culture stress. Can you imagine dealing with cancer and living in a third world country? Um, and, and, uh, and it happens. And uh, we have a missionary on our field that for the last 25 years has been dealing with multiple sclerosis. She's still on the field today. And uh, by the grace of God, she's a trooper. So, um, and uh, this book will help you. It's not written for you, but you'll learn a lot of lessons about how to pray for missionaries. The reason we, uh, the other reason we bring it to you is that, is that the s proceeds in this book help us to provide scholarship funds for our students. So we're asking $10 for that book. And, and please don't let this bother you that we would sell books. This isn't about us. It's about the kingdom. This book is entitled A Theology of the Spirit and Doctrine and Demonstration. Now, this is a very academic book. And, but it's 11 scholars, in, including yours truly, who write about the person in the world, uh, person 
and work of the Holy Spirit in the Asian context from an American perspective and from an uh, African perspective. So if you want to get uh, a grasp, uh, just a little bit of a grasp of the worldwide Pentecostal movement, you want to get this book. We're asking $20 for this one because it takes me more to print it. But you see, we have the opportunity. And God has opened through doors. We've signed a contract recently with, a, with, a, with another publisher and licensing our books to them. And that publisher has relationships all over the world. So our little APTS press that in 20 years of existence has only published 15 books, our books are going worldwide. And, and so we have an opportunity, not in the quantities that I'd like to see yet, but we're working on it. And we have the opportunity to mold and shape the next generation. I want to thank you for being a part of that in the offering today. I want to encourage you to be faithful to your mission support because it's your mission support that keeps missionaries like us on the field month after month, year after year. But I want to encourage you, if God calling you to be a missionary today, then, then, then answer the call. I wouldn't, you know, there's nothing else in the world I'd rather do. And I've been at this 22 years now. No place else I'd rather be than right in the center of the will of God. If God isn't calling you to go, then I assure that he's calling you to send. That's biblical. We're either goers or senders. Would you ask you to stand, please? I'm going to ask Pastor to come, and I'd like Jessica to join him. Would you join uh, would you join Pastor Ben, and, and uh, he'll tell you, he can whisper what we're going to do. I'd like to have every head bowed, please, and every eye closed. Because I want to create a safe haven here. There already is a safe haven here. What we want to do is to give you an opportunity. You may be here today, and you're not right relationship with God, and I do this in virtually every church we go to, no, with, almost without exception. If you're here today, and you've never in your lifetime experienced the incredible, the indescribable love of God the Father for you. And believe me, God is a father like no other father. Our fathers have weaks and faults, and you know, you may have a good relationship with your dad. You may have a terrible relationship with your dad. You may not even know who your dad is. But today, God is saying to you that he sent his son so that you could become his child. And let God be a father to you. It doesn't matter what your background. If you, you know, if you got a background like, like the Samaritan woman or a Pharisee like me, there's hope because Jesus came to transform us. And he'll do that if you ask him. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. And, that, and all that does is tell us who you are. All that does, the only people looking around are Pastor Jessica and me. Perhaps you're here today and you've known God in the past, but you've walked away from him for weeks, months, years, decades, whatever it's been. His arms are still open to you. And he wants to welcome you too to be a part of his family again. In a moment, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. There's nothing spiritual in raising your hand. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. It's okay. The reason we ask you to raise your hand is so that your pastor will know who you are because he loves you. He's committed the last 10 years of his life, both he and Jessica, to loving you and nurturing you. 
And if you're new to this church, he'll bring you in too. But you're not joining a church today. We're inviting you to join a family. So if that's you right now, would you raise your hand wherever you're at and say, Dave, that's me. I need to open my heart to Jesus. Thank you for your honesty over on my right. Others this morning, would just raise your hand. That's it. We're not going to call you forward. We're not going to ask you to say anything. Right now, I want you to just raise your hand. That's it. So you can do this. Whether you raised your hand, all you have to do is say, Jesus, change me. Jesus, I want to walk with you. Jesus, I apologize for every, I want to turn away from whatever I've done in the past. Your past doesn't have to be a prison to the future. Jesus has the key. And he'll change you. I want you to challenge you to tell someone today. Talk to Pastor Ben or Sister Jessica after the service. Perhaps men to men, women to women. And know that you have a home in the kingdom of God. And a father who's waiting his arms to wrap around you and love you like no, like no human ever could. But I want to say this to you that now that are believers. The vast majority of this world's population is dying and going to hell without this message. Will you take it to them? Will you go? Will you go and invest your life? Will you pray? Will you send others? Will you go to places we've never gone before and there's a lot of them out there? Will you be his hand extended to the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the forgotten, the ignored, the slandered, the libeled, the dispossessed. Will you go to them today? Will you go to the ruling classes who are the oppressors, who are the gossips, who are the slanderers? They need the message too. Will you join us in Asia or Africa or Latin America or wherever God calls you? Will you say yes to him? Lord, I pray your blessing upon this church. I thank you, Lord, that they love missionaries and missions. And I thank you, Lord, that they've reached open their arms to me today. And I pray your blessing upon them. Lord, I speak healing to any who are sick today. I speak healing to my own wife. Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I speak healing to those that are dealing with inner issues that are scars that cannot be seen because they're scars of the heart from relationships gone bad from drug, alcohol abuse, whatever the situation is, Lord, or, or, or those who just who become bitter in spirit. I pray healing today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God love you. Here's your pastor. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Let's thank Dave for coming and sharing his heart. Appreciate it. And as we close today, we want to turn, we want to greet one another, we want to uh, make sure we're uh, caring for one another, and uh, I'm just going to pray a prayer benediction quickly, and then you'll be dismissed. Uh, so Lord, I just pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us, bring us back together again uh, next week. Lord, we thank you for this. God, seal these moments in our lives. Uh, and Lord, help us to, uh, to walk in your ways. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Amen.